Do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're starting a brand new series right now called Unshakable, and we'll be doing this over the next handful of weeks. We will be looking at um, Hebrews chapter 12 really will be our anchor text where we get the idea of receiving an unshakable kingdom and becoming unshakable people. But then over the next handful of weeks, we're going to look at a handful of different topics and go to different places in the Bible to kind of fill that out and help us to figure out how can we navigate the challenges that we find ourselves in and how can we do that in a way that is unshakable. Um, And so that's what we're up to. And if you've got a Bible, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, it'd be our privilege to gift one to you. And so you just need to let us know and we'll do a, a delivery to your home. But we've got gift Bibles that we give away when we're able to meet together, and we want to continue to do that even as we're remote from each other. So if you need a Bible, let us know. We'll get it to you. We'll also put the passages up on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, don't feel like you're going to get left in the dust. We're going to do the best we can to um, make this very user-friendly. But Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to go verses 18 to 28. So I'm going to start reading it now, and then we'll pray, and we will get to work. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was being commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would use this word to speak to our hearts. We pray, God, that you would help us as individuals and collectively as a church to become a community of people who are unshakable. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what's happening, God, help us to see that we have received an unshakable kingdom and let that change our perspective. We pray, God, that you, by your spirit right now, would be doing a work in each of our hearts, encouraging us, instructing us, helping us to live faithfully for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing that you see here in the text is that this is a kingdom that is spiritual. We're receiving a spiritual kingdom, which is in contrast to a material, 
you know, multi-sensory kind of kingdom that you can touch and feel and smell and observe. And so you see this in the very first paragraph that you're receiving a spiritual kingdom in verses 18 and following. And you'll know that, th- that there's a contrast being made here when you look at the, the wording of verse 18 alongside of the wording of the beginning of verse 22. So look at it with me. It says, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire. So you've not come to this mountain, but instead, look at verse 22. You have come, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so the writer to the Hebrews is trying to explain something to them. You are receiving a spiritual kingdom. Now, the people that this letter is being written to, this sermon is being delivered to, the people in this first century were really going through a lot of different struggles. They were experiencing kind of this season in the life of the people of God that was one of tumult. It was one of difficulty and persecution and hardship. They were experiencing religious upheaval as certain things that they would ordinarily have the privilege of doing were no longer an option for them. They were experiencing social upheaval as they were now becoming subject to different powers and different political structures. They were experiencing all kinds of different upheaval. In fact, if you just glance over into chapter 10, you'll get a preview of it. At the end of chapter 10, we're told about this experience that many of them had, that they were experiencing persecution on account of their faith. And some of them were imprisoned for it. Some of them were uh, forcibly placed in a prison and then friends went to visit them. And while they were doing this prison visit, their homes were being ransacked. Their possessions were being removed from their homes. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, remember what that was like, that you were joyfully accepting the confiscation of your property because you knew that you had a better and a lasting possession. So this audience that this letter is being delivered to, they were going through hardships, much like we're going through hardships today. And that's why it's so appropriate for us to be able to jump into this passage together. We're going through a season in the life of our world right now that is one of social upheaval. It's one of economic upheaval. It's one of political upheaval. It's one of, you know, religious upheaval. That there are all these different things that we used to be able to look at and kind of predict. And we had a comfort about knowing what to expect. And now we're moving into this unknown season. And we have to learn how to navigate that in a way that's graceful that the church has resources available to it that the rest of the world does not have. And so the writer to the Hebrews is helping us to access this truth. And he's telling us there is a kingdom that you presently possess. And if you understand what it is and what it can do for you, it'll help you navigate this gracefully. So the first thing he's saying is, it is a spiritual kingdom. Now, the other kingdom that they're talking about was the experience that the people of God had very early on. The people of God were rescued out of slavery in Egypt and they marched out into the desert wilderness and God led them to the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And it was a experience that they could look at and they could remember and it really marked the rest of their existence. It was a part of their identity. 
It was there that God spoke to the people and he gave them his words of instruction. He gave them the Ten Commandments and he gave them instructions for worship, to build a structure and to experience God there. He gave them instructions on a system to be able to make sacrifices for the mistakes and the sins of the people. He gave them a Levitical priesthood, a people who would help them and lead them and, and lead them in these religious experiences. And all of that, it was, it was very tactile. It was something that they could touch and, and look at and, and hear. And there's a, there's a contrast that's being made right here by the writer to the Hebrews who's saying, what you have is actually far better, but it's spiritual. Well, let's look at some of the features of this tangible kingdom. Verse 18, a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. When they went to Mount Sinai, they, they, there was a literal mountain there that could be touched, but they weren't supposed to touch it. But it was there. It was this big mountain that they could observe. And Moses went up there and God descends on it. And, and we're being told a little bit of it here that this experience was one of darkness and gloom and storm. I don't know what you were up to yesterday afternoon, but we were sitting around as a family and we heard the tornado sirens go off. And so like, you know, normal people, we thought, okay, what do we need to do in this moment to be safe? And so, you know, my wife and my kids and, you know, we were all thinking through, okay, what do we need to do to get down into the basement? But then the dads of the Midwestern community, according to the face, you know, according to Facebook, what are they doing? They're going outside. But there was this experience at Mount Sinai where it was so frightening because there was this mountain there, but the gloom and the darkness and the storm descended upon it. And all of that was something that they could observe. They could see it. If they, if, if, you know, the restrictions weren't in place, they could touch it. It was there. It was a physical item. It was a trumpet blast. Look at verse 19. To a trumpet blast or to a voice speaking words that, that was so loud and so pressing that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was being commanded. That if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. So, so they're getting this experience at Mount Sinai that is just multi-sensory, all these different things. And it was such a frightful experience. Look at verse 21. The sight was so terrifying that Moses, the leader of the people, the one who was able to go up on the mountain and hear the voice of God, Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. So if you're thinking about what is going on in that initial experience of the people of God, where they were established and given their identity and given kind of their collective instructions for how to live in a covenant relationship with a holy God, you are realizing that they have been given something very tangible. And if you're thinking about what this is communicating about God, it's communicating that he's holy, that he's awesome in the technical sense of the word, that he inspires awe in whoever it is that comes into contact with him. So he's holy and also there's something about his inaccessibility, that he's such a holy God that you can't just walk up to him with this nonchalant attitude that's saying, hey, what's up, dude? But you walk up to this God and there's something about him that is otherworldly, that is actually inspiring of fear in your heart, 
That's the kind of God that we're dealing with. Now, in that situation, God spoke to the people and he gave them the temple. He gave them the sacrificial system. He gave them all kinds of different things to help them encounter God. But here's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. You've not come to that mountain. You've come to Mount Zion. You've not come to this mountain that's marked by its physicality. You've come to this spiritual reality, which is the mountain of God himself. Now, here's what's true of the human experience. We prefer the material. If you're trying to think about how to encourage people and how to help them experience God, it's very nice to be able to give kind of handles to the things of God that you could go to a church building and you could have a worship leader lead you in a song and you could have all these different observable features. But here's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. You've not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to a mountain that you can touch and hear and see. You've come to Mount Zion, to the spiritual reality of God. Now, here's why this is very important for us. As we consider our, our, what, what's going on in the world right now and what the future holds for us, our preference would be get us back to something that's familiar and something that I can touch. Get me back to something that, that's manageable. And here we're being told through the scripture that God is saying, I'm going to give you something better. And it's imperceptible, and it's, in, in some ways, because it's spiritual, you're receiving it by faith. But it is better than even that original reality. You are receiving a spiritual kingdom. You're receiving, secondly, the kingdom of the gospel. You're receiving the kingdom of the good news of God himself. We see, see this in the second paragraph, verses 22 to 24, but we're receiving this kingdom of the gospel where we're coming to the residence of God himself. Look at verse 22. You've not come to a mountain that you can touch. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the place where God is, and it is the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem it is Mount Zion itself. You've come to this location where God is present. And if he is there, then you will be okay. But you've come into this kingdom of the gospel. You've come. And I love the language here. It's saying you have come, not you will one day come into this kingdom. It's not saying in the future, you will arrive at the heavenly city. Now there is a place in our understanding to hold to that truth where we recognize the city of God is, in some regards, a future reality. If you read the very end of the Bible, you find out in, in the last couple chapters that this city will come down from heaven with God, that the heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion, it will come down and heaven will meet earth and it will be this beautiful reality that we look forward to. And in that moment, God will wipe away tears and he'll wipe away bad guys and he'll do away with all the pain and the suffering and the effects of the curse. And so there is a future reality about it. But here we're being told not that it is coming and we will receive it. It's saying, you presently have this. You have come to Mount Zion. You are a resident of this city. You are a member of this kingdom if you would receive it by faith. You've come 
to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. This is no small thing that we've come into. We're actually landing in the residence of God himself among the host of angels who are partying right now. They are celebrating right now in joyful assembly because of their nearness, the relative nearness to God himself. That's who you are as a believer. You are a resident of his city, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, this place called Mount Zion, and you are now in the presence of thousands and thousands of angels partying. You've come, verse 23, to the church of the firstborn, the gathering of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to the church of the living God, the assembly of the people of God who are the firstborn, meaning we get all of the inheritance of Jesus himself because of him and his graciousness. We've come to him and our names are written in heaven. If you guys remember in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out a bunch of disciples and he gives them authority and he gives them instructions and they get to go and do ministry in his name and they come back and they're, they're geeking out. They're so excited about the ministry that they did and they said, guys, Jesus, you, you would not believe it. Demons listened to us and obeyed us. And Jesus gets really somber in that moment. If I'm reading it correctly, the tone kind of changes in that moment. They're all giddy. They're all excited. You can't believe it. You'll have no idea. This is what happened. We went out in your name. We did all these incredible things. And even demons heard us and responded to our authority. And Jesus said, rejoice not in that. He says, I've seen angels fall from heaven. This is Luke chapter 10. But in verse 20, he says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The, the thing that we ought to be so enamored by is the fact that, that in the roll call of heaven itself, by faith, because of our belief in Jesus Christ, our name is sketched there. That we have this beautiful assurance that God has received us and he has placed our name in the records of heaven. Our names are written in heaven and by receiving this kingdom of the gospel, we are receiving this kingdom of heaven. You've come to God and his residence and you've come to the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 23. At the end there, it says, you've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You've come to God. You've come to him who is the judge of all, who is going to make all things right again. You've come to this good news of the gospel, and, and we see it here at the end of that verse where it says, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. How do people get fit for heaven? Well, God does it. The spirits of those who are righteous are now made perfect. And we'll see here in a moment that it is by faith in Jesus Christ and in his blood and in his atoning work for us that we are made perfect and suitable then for heaven. So we get this incredible kingdom of the gospel through what Jesus has done for us. We get to come to God himself, the judge of all, and we get to come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We get to come to those who have gone before us. And it should inspire hope in us. It should help us to recognize the nature of this unshakable kingdom. So earlier this week, uh, a famous Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias, lost his battle against cancer. He passed away and he entered into glory. A couple weeks ago, 
one of the guys that, one of the pastors that I've um, looked up to over the years, and I followed his ministry and his writing and his sermons, um, he took his own life. Uh, he was dealing with depression and, and, and other shades of things. Uh, you know, there, there were stuff going on in his church and all kinds of different things, but mental health was definitely a part of it. And um, depression was definitely a part of it. And both of these individuals, Ravi Zacharias and this other individual, are now in glory. And so we might say, if we're just evaluating the circumstances based off of a worldly perspective, we might say, cancer won. It, it took one of the great individuals in our day and age who's been doing such an incredible ministry for so many people. We might say, Mental health, won the, mental health won the day. Depression won the day. And in frustration, we might think about that. But the truth is, if we understand the, the nature of this kingdom, if we understand the nature of the gospel, cancer didn't win. Mental health didn't win. Depression didn't win. Satan definitely didn't win because the spirits of the righteous are made perfect. God is the one who is taking frail human beings like us and he is, he's making us suitable for heaven and for glory and for all of eternity together with him. That's the kind of kingdom that we have received. We've come to God, to the judge of the earth, to the one who has given us the good news of the gospel and who is able to make all things new. Let's look at verse 24. We've come to the gospel, and we see it on display here when it's described. We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We've come to Jesus. He is the one who has given us this new covenant, this new relationship with God, and he's done it through his Blood, that if, if you think about what Moses did, he was the mediator of the first covenant. He was the one who said, okay, guys, we're going to build this incredible structure and it's where the glory of God will reside and it's where the priests will do their ministry. And they'll, if you've read the Bible before, there's all, you know, blood's such a significant thing. They make sacrifices and, you know, it's gross, but they put blood on everything. And it's a part of the way to relate to God and recognize the seriousness of sin and, and all of that. But along comes Jesus, and the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you are coming to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to his sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, you might be thinking, I have no idea what's happening right now. Who are we talking about? Jesus, Abel, who are these different people? But at the very beginning of the Bible, God creates humanity, Adam and Eve, and he creates them in his image, and he says they are very good. And he declares the goodness of them, and then they rebel against them, uh, rebel against God him, himself, and, and it's cosmic treason, and there's a curse, and it affects everything. It, it affects all of creation itself, and it affects Adam and Eve, and, and it affects everything. And... Um, they then have children. They have two sons, Cain and Abel, and um, Cain is jealous of Abel. There's sin. There's, you know, a, a bitterness, a resentment between the two. And Cain murderously takes his brother out into the field in secret and strikes him down. And then God comes along and he says to, he says to Cain, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain essentially says, 
I don't know. Why is that my business? And God says, the blood of Abel, the blood of your brother that you struck down, it cries out to me. It speaks to me. And it speaks to me about the evil and the wickedness that you have performed in this moment. And along comes the writer to Hebrews and he says, look, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and his blood is speaking as well. His blood speaks also, but it speaks a much better word. The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. It cries out for, you know, restitution to be made. It cries out that God would do something about the injustice that occurred. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It speaks a word of pardon. It speaks a word of forgiveness. It speaks a word of acceptance. So we have then this kingdom, and it is a spiritual kingdom, and it is the kingdom of the gospel. And it's better then. So, so when we think about what they were experiencing in the first century, and they might be kind of longing for, you know, man, I wish that it were easier for us to worship God. And, and I'm not sure when the letter was written exactly, but for sure in the first century. And so whether this was before or after, there was an event that happened in 70 AD. Their temple, the temple in Jerusalem was decimated. It was destroyed. And so they might be thinking, man, I just, I, I just wish that we could go back to things as they used to be, where we could go to the temple and we could see the, the different operation of it and we could see it there and we could touch it and we could smell it and we could, you know, hear the different things that are going on there and we could sing and do all these different things. And that's the same posture that many of us have right now when we think about the church and our future. And we think, man, if we could just go back to the way it was before, that would be our preference. That, that would be more comfortable. That would be something we would, you know, love for it to happen that way. But what if God in this moment is saying, guys, I'm giving you something far better. That's the key word in all of the book of Hebrews, better. As you look at all these different things from the religious experience of the Hebrews and over and over again, it's saying Jesus is better. What he's done is better. All of this is better. So we have this kingdom and it is better. It is good news for us. Jesus receives us uh, through his work on the cross, through the spilling of his blood, and we receive him by faith. Now, What this means then, if there's a contrast between the ministry of Moses and the ministry of Jesus, what it's saying is, you've fallen in love with the preview, but but you're getting something much better than the preview. You're getting the, the coming attraction itself. You're getting the thing that the preview was pointing to. My daughter, Reese, she she loves these um toys, and they're called like different things like LOL surprise doll or um, Hatchimals or things like that. And what they do with those toys is they market them so that the kids fall in love with the packaging. It's, it's something that you don't know what's on the inside, but you fall in love with the idea of unpackaging this thing. And then you crack it open and you get to the inside and it's really underwhelming. And they look at the toy and they're like, okay, let's go get another one. And they want, to, they, they want the packaging because that's the really exciting part. But the truth is a lot of believers love the packaging. We fall in love with the means instead of the end. We fall in love with the, the stuff instead of what the stuff is pointing us to. The writer to the Hebrews is saying, don't fall in love with the religious stuff. Fall in love with who religion is pointing to, to Jesus himself, to God himself. Don't look at it and say, oh, I wish we could go back to the glory days. I wish we could go back to 
you know, having things the way that we want them. Instead, recognize that in this moment, by faith in Christ, we have received a spiritual kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, and an unshakable kingdom. That's the final paragraph here in our chapter. The unshakable kingdom comes in verses uh, 25 through 28. It's an unshakable kingdom that God is gifting to us. And it's unshakable um, because God is going to speak again and he's going to, by his voice, he's going to shake everything up. But what we'll receive then, what we have received is the kingdom that is unshakable. And if we have it, then we're unshakable also. Let's let's follow the the train of thought here. Look at verse 25. It's telling us that if God is going to speak and it's going to shake everything up, we better be certain that we're positioned to listen to him. Look, look at verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Okay, that's step number one for us today. Make sure that we're ready to listen to his voice. Some of us are so tone deaf to the things of God right now because all we can hear is what we want to hear. And we're being reminded, let's make sure that we do not refuse him who is presently speaking. Jesus is speaking to us. It's by his voice, through his word, that he's leading his people. So let's make sure that we're doing what he says. We're listening in to his steady voice, and we're following his divine leadership, and we're trusting in what he's up to, even if it's different than our opinions or our preferences. Let's see to it that we do not refuse him to speak, him who speaks. Verse 25, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If if they heard the voice of God through a mediator named Moses and through that word, if if they didn't escape on earth, how much less will we if we have access to God who is speaking to us today from heaven? Now, this God is going to shake things up. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So here's here's what it's like. We're at a tree farm right now, and in the wintertime, people come out here, and they'll go out into the fields, and they'll chop down a tree, and then they bring it back to to a station where we we have items that are literally called shakers. And we put the tree in the shaker, and the shaker is designed so that it takes the stump of the tree and it just rattles it, just shakes it like crazy. And what happens then is that everything that's in the tree that can't hang on for dear life is flying out of it. Dead needles, weak branches, all these different things are flying out of the tree. And what remains then is what we want to send home with people, something that will be enduring, something that will last something that won't just spill out on the carpet of their home. That's what God is doing. He is going to speak, and he's going to shake things up, and the only thing that's going to remain are the things that are durable, the things that are going to last. But that shaking is disruptive. Right behind me back here, there's a, a gravel driveway that goes up to my parents' house, and it's about a quarter mile long, and it's got all of these different holes in the gravel from when it rains, and then we cruise up there, and I had this old Jeep, and I remember, um, you know, I loved this thing, and, and it was built like a tank, and, and I loved it. It was my first car, and <clears throat> I had it for a long, long time. 
but it was falling apart. And so I remember driving up the lane and going through the potholes and it's shaking. And this is just kind of an everyday thing as we'd come back home, we'd drive up the quarter mile lane and it would shake. But one day it shook the car so hard that the motor mount broke off of it. I'm driving up the car and it just comes to a complete stop because the whole thing is falling apart. That's kind of the, in my imagination, what it is like to encounter God in this moment. He's, he's telling us he's going to speak. And if you're not ready for it, if you're falling apart already, be careful. Things are just going to fly off and the motor is going to fall out of this thing. So you better be sure that your life is built upon something that can last because he's going to speak and, and he's saying once more, when he speaks, everything that is not buttoned down is going to fly off. And I think that that's a future reality that we are looking forward to. But I don't think it means just once more. I think it's saying, again, God is going to do this. And he does this over and over and over again. And it's actually good. So here's my question for you. God right now, in my estimation, is shaking things up. What are the things that are falling apart? And do you really want to try to button them back on? Do you want to try to patch them back up and say, no, 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 no. I need this thing. This is, <clears throat> this is a critical part of my life. What if what God is doing right now is actually a kindness? And he's shaking things up at a personal level. And he's shaking things up at, a, at the level of society and the level of churches. And he's shaking things up. And the only thing that's going to make it through this are the things that are durable. Well, that's okay by me. That is okay by me. God is shaking things up. And honestly, some of the stuff that we cling to so dearly in this moment, God is giving us an opportunity. Even this morning, he's saying, just let it go. That thing's going to fly off. That thing has no hope of sticking to this. And we just need to be able to say, look, if, if it's going to fall apart or fall off, then it must not be that critical. We have to be willing to say, God is shaking things up and that is Okay, once more, God is going to remove what can be shaken, the created things, so that what's left are the items that cannot be shaken. Look at verse 28 then. We then are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God is gifting us this kingdom that is durable, that will withstand the shaking. Therefore, look at verse 28. This is how we ought to respond since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. If we're receiving something that is durable, that's indestructible, if we're receiving and have received this kingdom already, if we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, then our response, the only appropriate response would be that we would respond to God with worship, that we would be thankful yeah, life is falling down around us. Things are falling apart. It, the economy is falling apart. People's personal lives, in some cases, are falling apart. People's health is falling apart. But in the end, we as believers can say, we are receiving something that cannot be shaken, something that is enduring, something that will last for all of eternity. And so we're going to be people who do exactly what the text says, we're going to be thankful. There is a disruption, but we're going to thank God that in the midst of that disruption, we are finding things that will remain, 
that will last for all of eternity. And for that, we want to thank God and therefore we'll worship him. It's interesting to me that the response is one of worship, but for them, they might not have even had that opportunity to go to the temple and to gather with people, just like we can't go to a church facility and gather together in this moment. But we're saying, regardless, we're going to worship. And we're going to worship God by our thankfulness, by our thankfulness of what God is doing. We're going to perform the act and not just be concerned with the form. We're not just going to try to think through how we can get back to things as they were. We're going to trust that God maybe is doing a new thing. And so we're going to worship him right now. We're going to respond to him right now. Now, here's the motivation. It's the final verse here in our text. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. Here's what that means. God didn't change. From Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, God didn't change. That holy and awesome God that was terrifying, that we couldn't really approach without making, you know, all kinds of different accommodations to do that. Our God is a consuming fire that has invited us to draw near through Jesus Christ. Our God is a consuming fire who's made a way for us to come near to this holy and awesome God through faith in what Jesus has done. Jesus went to the cross and he died and he said from there, it is finished. And when he gave up his spirit, as the gospels will tell us, as the different accounts of those events tell us, the earth shook and the temple curtain tore in two. And by what Jesus has done, he has given us access to this God who is a consuming fire who's given us his kingdom, the city of God, Mount Zion, the place of the gospel, this heavenly kingdom, an unshakable kingdom. If you have that, you have something that will make you durable. You have something that will make you strong. So receive him by faith right now, either for the first time or for the 40th time or the 400th time or however many times you want to trust in him. He is sufficient. He's our king. Let's receive his kingdom right now. Lord, we ask in this moment that you would help each of us to trust in King Jesus. We thank you for the kingdom that we have. And it is hard because it is spiritual and it is heavenly. And so that means it's subtle and it's behind the scenes. And we prefer the multi-sensory light show. We, we want things to be loud and, and we want things to be, you know, something that we can point to and say, look, there's God. But in this moment, would you help us to receive this by faith? Your unshakable kingdom, and most specifically, your unshakable king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.